What an honor it is to be back here speaking for you today. Uh, pastor Jaime, who is the campus pastor here, is on vacation this week. And he asked, Ernie, would you come and speak for me while I'm gone? And I absolutely, I said, yes, I would love to be back. Um, well, my name is Ernie Lane, and along with my wife, Katie, we have been attending Chatham Community Church since January of 2011. And it's been wonderful to see this church grow and serve the community. Um, and like many of you, we've not only seen it, but we've experienced it through Chatham Serves, loading and unloading boxes for Core Food Pantry, and meeting nonprofit groups as they come and use the space. And it's been, a, again, it's been a blessing because this is a, a church that is doing what God has called us to do. And I'm thankful that uh, we've been able to raise our two daughters, Riley and Kylie, in this church, that they get to see Jesus modeled to them every day. And I hope that you will find uh, Chatham Community Church, or you've already seen that that is the kind of church for you as well. Well, back in college, I worked, uh, actually, I got a degree in athletic training, but I worked with a lot of teams. And one of those teams that I work with is uh, a sport that I consider to be the best sport, uh, baseball. And some of y'all may disagree, and that's fine. That's, that's okay. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but uh, I remember a particular game, not because of the outcome, but because of how a situation was handled. You see, this game, uh, neither team was able to uh, have much, much success at the plate, and we finally got a base runner. And with that, uh, the uh, coach, third base coach started sending a signal, and, and he does these hand gestures, and, or he may just clap his hands, and it's just to tell the batter or the runner what to do. It may be swing away. It may be take a pitch. It may be for the runner to steal a base. Well, now, because it was late in the game and um, neither team had much success and Coach was showing his trust in his team and also trying to catch the other team off guard, he called a hit and run in a situation you normally wouldn't call it. And a hit and run is when the pitcher, as soon as the pitcher releases the ball, the base runner takes off. And the hitter's role is to hit the ball in this opening gap so that the base runner can advance. Now, like I said, this play was called, and the pitch is thrown, and the base runner takes off. And then the pitch is coming to the plate, and the hitter never lets his bat leave the shoulder. Well, the catcher catches the ball and throws it down to second base. The runner's out, and the inning is over. The opportunity was gone because the hitter made a mistake. How do you think the fans and the players reacted to this mistake? How do you think coach reacted? How would have each of you reacted if somebody made a mistake? In life, I find that there are two opposing sides. There's one side who's going to let it slide. And then on the other side, you're going to have people that are going to uh, lay down the hammer on this person. And so uh, you may be the type of person that finds a reason or an excuse for someone. It's okay, he's just a teenager. You know, she's turned in a couple of reports late, but her best friend has been really sick. Okay, okay, it's not that big of a deal. They're just dealing with a lot of stress. And you see, in situations like these and others, letting it slide can be a good thing. It can be caring for that person. 
But there are times when the tendency to let things slide can become unhealthy. And we may end up enabling a pattern of harmful behavior. So maybe you find yourself on the other side. Maybe you're the uh, drop the hammer type of person. And you will always know why somebody did something wrong what they did wrong, and the consequence that they should face because of what they did wrong. And you'll catch yourself saying, well, I never would have done that. Or maybe if she didn't spend so much time on social media, this wouldn't have happened. Or you're, you're speaking statements and you say, I'm just saying. Or just calling it like I see it. You know, and, and so those situations are oftentimes done in a negative way. And it's not just dropping the hammer, it's judgment. And so when you say that to people, what you're doing, what that person may feel is that you're questioning that their beliefs, their character, their intelligence. But again, we find ourselves leaning from one side to, or the other. But there are healthy ways not just to be one way or the other. The Bible refers to this as grace and truth. And we're called to do both. Today's passage is from... Uh, Chapter 21 in the book of John, and the, the passage is a restoration or reinstating passage for Peter. Uh, this is the third and final time that Jesus appears to the disciples in the book of John uh, after his resurrection. So if you will, please turn to your Bibles to John uh, chapter 21, uh, verses 15 through 19. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. As you'll see, they'll be on the screen behind me. Um, but if you don't even own a Bible... Come see me after service, and I'll be in the back, and I'll gladly give you one. Starting with verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted Sorry. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will lead you, dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. When they had finished eating, it's very easy. And I've, I've did it all the time to miss the impact of this line. Jesus' time with the disciples was coming to an end, and he had a lot to share and do. You see, when uh, Jesus saw Peter and the disciples out fishing, they noticed him on the land, and they came to land. And when they got on the land and were approaching Jesus, they saw that Jesus had prepared a meal for them. You see, Jesus didn't sacrifice the relationship for the mission. 
So where in your life have you found yourself just wanting to get to the point or cut to the chase? They, this could be in conversation with a friend. This could be with a coworker or a neighbor, even a family member. Why is it that getting to the point is in competition with relationship? I'd venture to guess in our uh, need it yesterday kind of world that we often think, ain't nobody got time for that. But that's not the case here. We often demean meaningful conversation as small talk and the tending of needs as trivial. Thankfully, Jesus models to us that to be in relationship, conversation is necessary. And tending to the needs are actually vital. I start my uh, first year as a teacher in three days. And one of the conversations that has come up is uh, uh, talking about students' uh, discipline or concerns of their behavior and how to do that. But it's, you know, I just thought it was going to be math and English history. And it's not that. So it might surprise you for those that know me or even those that don't that I am more of a drop-the-hammer kind of guy. Um, But what I've learned is there is value in tending to the needs of the student and building relationship. So I've been working on, and I'm going to start with, of what's going on if there is an issue? What were you thinking or uh, when, when you did what you did? What did you want to happen when you uh, did your actions? And so I won't view, I will not view these conversations as small talk, but I'll view them as important and needed. This, this relationship will have a good foundation because we are communicating and talking to each other. If I only ever issue discipline, if I always drop the hammer on my students, it will be a recipe for disaster with them as a teacher. As Jesus did, I need to make sure that I am tending to the needs of the other people around me. And whether that's a student or a teacher, family member, neighbor, friend, I want to be full of grace and truth. I want to be balanced. And so again, for those who are like me, who are a drop-the-hammer type of person, and you probably know who you are, where can you extend grace to achieve this balance? Simon, son of John. Now, you may not have missed how Jesus refers to Peter as Simon, son of John. He calls him the name that his parents gave him. At the very beginning, when Jesus first meets Peter, he says, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translates to Peter. Why the change? It reminds me when you're a kid and you hear your full name called. It doesn't always mean that you're in trouble, but it means that you better at least pay attention. Okay? Now, for me, of course, that never happened, mainly because Ernest Clemens Lane Jr. doesn't flow like it should. 
but I have heard Ernest several times in my life, and you can ask my mom because she's here today. She'll vouch for that. Now, when she did that, that was my cue to bring my full attention to her or possibly go out the back door, and it still is, but I have to think of that, and I think of that when Jesus, when I'm reading this, and Jesus calls him Simon, son of John. That had to get Peter's attention. And I think Jesus was intentional with this because he wanted to remind him of a time. He wanted to remind him of something in the past. Again, before Jesus met Peter, he was just Simon. He was Simon the fisherman. And he didn't know Jesus. Much like the way he's been acting recently, he's acting like he doesn't know Jesus because he went back to fishing. Earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus is telling his disciples that where I will go, you can't follow. And Peter, of course, says, where are you going, God, that we cannot follow you? I would lay down my life for you. And Peter's bold in his loyalty and his love for Jesus, and I love that. But Peter was cocky, and his words ended up just being that, words. You see, Jesus told him that he would not do this. He actually said, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. What Jesus said to Peter, of course, came true. Peter denied him. Jesus was crucified. And after denying his connection to Jesus, Peter has gone back to doing what he did before he knew Jesus fishing. So when Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you think that got his full attention? It's almost like Jesus said, let's start over. We can fix this, this brokenness, this relationship. We can fix it. Pay attention. Do you love me? Even if you've probably never read the Bible, you noticed how many times Jesus said, do you love me, to Peter? In case you were sleeping, it was three times. He said it three times. But he said, Jesus said that three times because Jesus understood that to fix something, you have to take all the broken pieces to repair. So each denial was a broken piece in the relationship that Jesus and Peter had. Have you ever witnessed something uh, that was done poorly? A sloppy or rushed paint job on the walls? You know, when you're driving to work and you just have that little patch on the road that just wears out, it's not done right? Someone who carelessly washes the windows and there's streaks or spots everywhere? None of those repairs or actions fix or get that back to the way it was intended to be. The painters will need to come back to paint the walls uniformly so it looks clear without blotches or runs. The pavers will have to come back and fix the road instead of just doing a patch and fix it properly so the pothole will not return. And somebody's going to have to reclaim the windows because it needs to be without obstruction. You see, when it's done correctly, the walls will look great and the road will be smooth. And the windows will be clear. And Jesus wants Peter to see how important it is 
to fix every piece of that broken relationship. So through the conversation, even though it hurt Peter, and it says it hurt Peter, Jesus knew that it must be done. For Peter to serve in the role that Jesus originally intended him to serve. That intended role of disciple, rock, Peter. Jesus knew that you had to face it if you wanted to fix it. Jesus was reinstating Peter. As if to say, I gave you the name Peter because you will be the rock upon which I build this church. Do you still want it? Do you still love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these men that you're with? Do you love me more than your identity as a fisherman? Because if you do, I have work for you to do. And so with each confirmation of love that Peter gave back to Jesus, Jesus gave him instruction. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. More and more responsibility. Follow me. I just imagine these were the best words in this conversation that Peter heard. In the modern, modern English version of the Bible, I believe that right after Jesus says, follow me, Peter probably shouted, I'm back, y'all. Jesus loves me. I'm back. And he reinstated me. And that's what Jesus did. He understood that you had to fix something to get there, but he always wanted him in that role. So he gave him his identity uh, back in Jesus the way he was intended to have it. Throughout this passage, Jesus models grace and truth. Again, at the beginning, Jesus didn't need to sacrifice, you know, the relationship for the needs of the mission. And that was grace. And Jesus, when he was having this conversation with Peter, he didn't start with, hey, Peter, remember when I told you you would deny me three times and you did? Do you remember that? Are you ready to listen to me now? But Jesus also didn't sweep that denial under the rug or make an excuse for Peter. He tackled it honestly, truthfully, in a loving way. He had that hard conversation at the time. And that was truth. He knew that it needed to be fixed. And then the last thing of Jesus reinstating Peter by saying, follow me. I mean, that's, to me, again, that's, that's just the words that you want to hear, whether you feel it or it's audible from God. Follow me, I have a purpose for you. And again, that's, that's grace, because Peter thought he had done wrong. He, he couldn't get back to that position, that he was going to be a fisherman. And the other thing is, remember this conversation was right after they finished eating. So I'm pretty sure this wasn't a private conversation. He was amongst the other disciples. So while Jesus was fixing this broken relationship with Peter and showing Peter how to do it, he also was modeling grace and truth to those around him. So... When the hitter 
was making his way back to the dugout, head hung in disappointment and possibly shame. There was a chorus of shouts from the fans, some of them saying, it's okay. Some of them were dropping the hammer on this kid. And when he got to the dugout, there was much of the same. His teammates were either saying, hey, it's okay, kid, or they were just like shaking their head in disgust. How could he have done that? But what I saw in the moment was this beautiful time between a coach and a player. He put his hands on the, on the hitter's shoulders, and I couldn't hear what he was saying, but I could, I could see and I just feel like I could imagine. He was saying, hey, you know, we called a hit and run. Did you see the sign? Did you miss it? And he was speaking truth to him, but he was also graceful because I could see the hitter nodding, and, and, and I just know coach was like, hey, get your head in the game. We need you. Get back on the field. I want you to be ready to hit when it's your turn. And again, there's this nodding of acknowledgement and a smile from both. And I know Coach is a believer in Christ. What I don't know is if Coach knew that he was modeling Jesus to me at that moment. He was modeling grace and truth. And I'm sure and I pray that he was modeling to the players that are around him as well. Earlier I told you that I'm thankful that Riley and Kylie are able to grow up in a church that they get to see Jesus modeled to them. But we can only do that if we as followers of Christ are doing what Jesus calls us to do. Just as Coach did. When others mess up or make mistakes, we need to handle the situation with grace and truth, just like Jesus. Throughout your whole life, you're going to be faced with moments in which you can lean one way or the other. Someone's going to disappoint you. Somebody is going to break your trust. Someone didn't do what they said they would do. Are you going to be the person that shows them grace? Are you going to be the person that tells them truth? I say to you, you can do both. You can show them grace and truth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, so that all of our sins may be forgiven. I thank you that Jesus can teach us today just as much as he taught his disciples in the moment during his life and resurrection. Fill us with the knowledge and reminders that you call us to be full of grace and truth. Let us be intentional in our conversations with others when they make mistakes or have, been, have done wrong, when relationships get broken. Remind us that in our relationships, conversations are not just small talk and that the tending of needs are not trivial. We need and we want to be your hands and feet, Lord. Please give us the ability to do so. In your name we pray. Amen.